Thank you, Amanda, for making it hard to get up here and talk. (laughs) Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time we've had already to express ourselves through worship, singing, to remember the women that you put in our lives and have a chance to bless them and give thanks for them. And now, Father, we get to come to your word and uh, we get to learn. We get to uh, perhaps think things through that we've set aside. Uh, Maybe, God, we need to get back to where we once were, where we love to be, but we've strayed. Whatever it is, God, I I pray that your word would speak to us today. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Back in 1988, we had a presidential campaign going. And the candidates were George H. Bush and Michael Dukakis. So some of us remember that. Uh, I still have pictures of Dukakis um, riding in a tank. I don't, I don't know why he was doing that, but that picture stuck in my mind. But uh, the Bush campaign <clears throat> that year had a very interesting strategy. <clears throat> and their strategy was that they would go wherever Michael Dukakis went. So they would follow the schedule of Dukakis. And wherever he went, they would make sure that they were in that city, that place, just hours after Dukakis. And the idea of that strategy was that just a short while after people had heard Dukakis in their city, George Bush would come in and give his message, countering that of Dukakis, so that people only had a few hours to think about the one message, but the message that they hoped would stick and stay with them is the next one they heard. And so it was like George Bush followed Dukakis all over the country with that strategy, countering Dukakis's message. Whether that is the reason Bush won or not, we don't know. But that was the strategy. In a sense, the Apostle Paul probably could identify with Michael Dukakis. Because when the Apostle Paul would travel around the known world at that time presenting the gospel of Christ in these different cities, there were false teachers who would follow him everywhere he went. And they would present a different message or their version of the message that the Apostle Paul had presented. And as we've been going through 2 Corinthians, we see that this was a problem for the Apostle Paul. Because these men would come in 
soon after Paul, and they would criticize him. They would accuse him of things that weren't true, and they would give a different message, a skewed message, uh, a different take on the message that Paul had given. Kind of the same strategy. And Paul had to deal with that everywhere he went. Let me show you how that strategy took place. Let's start in Acts chapter 20. You'll you'll notice I have a number of scriptures that show this. Uh, We'll just look at a few of them. You can look at the rest on your own. But starting in Acts chapter 20, Paul is meeting here with the elders from the Ephesian church. And he says in verse 28, Acts 20, 28, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Paul warning the elders in the Ephesian church, this is going to happen. I've been there. I was with you a couple years. I presented the gospel message. But I warn you guys, it won't be long and somebody's going to come after me. And maybe even someone from within your own group. And they're going to distort the truth. They're going to try and get you to believe things that are not true. And so he, he warns them and prepares them for that, that it's going to happen in Ephesus. Uh, if you turn to the book of Galatians, right after 2 Corinthians, Galatians <clears throat> chapter 1. Now, the, the letter to the Galatians went to a number of churches in the region of Galatia. So he's talking about a number of churches now that he had been in. And in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was happening in those churches in the area of Galatia. After Paul had done his ministry there, eventually these false teachers came in. And here Paul says they're distorting the gospel. They're, they're, They're preaching a different gospel than I did. And if you're familiar with Galatians, you know Paul is really upset that the people in these churches are being influenced by these teachers who come after him. Uh, another example is Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Verses one to three. 
He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. So in the Thessalonican church, it was happening. After Paul left, people were coming in. Or they were sending letters or presenting uh, writings claiming it was the Apostle Paul. But it was totally different from what Paul had taught them. And so the Thessalonian church had to deal with this issue. Uh, the next book, First Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor in the church at Ephesus. Chapter 1, verse 3. He says to Timothy, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work. So again, he's saying to Timothy, these guys have come in after me, and they're stirring up controversy by what they teach. Watch out for them. Don't let them continue in their teaching. And then one more example, Titus. A couple more books over. Titus, chapter 1. Titus was a pastor um, on the island of Crete, churches that have been started by Paul. And so he says here in Titus 1, Starting in verse 10, for there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. So they were Jewish. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So this was a problem. The Apostle Paul was experiencing what Michael Dukakis experienced in his presidential campaign. Every city he went to, somebody came after him and preached a different gospel, criticized Paul, accused him of things that weren't true, trying to undo what Paul had taught. And in 2 Corinthians, throughout the the letter, we've seen him having to deal with this, the criticisms and the accusations. And that continues here today as we go to chapter 11. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> We're going to quickly go through the first 15 verses. And I hope it's quickly because I want to get to the application because this is so relevant today. Let me read those 15 verses. We need to hear them all. 2 Corinthians 11.1 1, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, 
your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Let's kind of walk through that. Paul makes an admission, and he's kind of uncomfortable about this. He, he feels foolish, um, but they've already been putting up with a lot of stuff that he feels foolish bringing up because he, I'm sure, is uncomfortable having to defend himself against these accusations and criticisms. But he admits to two things. He says, I'm jealous. And he says, I'm afraid. Notice that in those first verses. I'm jealous. Calls it a godly jealousy. Not a sinful one. But he says, I'm jealous. And I'm afraid. That's quite an admission for the Apostle Paul. That is a difficult Admission for any man, right, guys? To just come right out, and in a sense, publicly, because it's being read to the whole church, and say, I'm jealous, or to say, I'm afraid. Question, of course, then, that causes us to read on is what? What's he jealous of? What is he afraid of? So let's look at that. In verses 2 and 3, he gives a word picture. And then he talks about this, this danger that's very present at that time that he's afraid of. So let's look at that. First, the word picture. It's a picture of marriage, of giving in marriage. Notice that. He says in verse 2, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So you have three characters in this word picture. 
you have a husband. He says, that's Christ. He says, I promised you, the Corinthians, to the one husband, Christ. So you, you have a bride who would be the Corinthian people, Christ the husband, and Paul is the one who promised them to Jesus. So what role does he take in the picture? He's the father, right? He's the father. And he says, I have promised you to Christ. And I have presented you to Christ. And of course, during his time there, many of them had gotten married to Christ. They had been united through the gospel to Jesus. They'd come to know him. And Paul says, I was the matchmaker. I was the father. I brought you together. I gave you to Christ. And he says, I'm jealous. Why would he be jealous? Well, he goes on and talks about a danger here. He says in verse 3, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says, I promised you to a husband, Jesus. I presented you to him. I was there to help you be united with Jesus in that relationship. And he says, I'm afraid that Satan is doing the same work in you that he did in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. You remember that. Uh, If you don't, go back to it sometime and read that. But it's when Satan through the serpent played around with Eve's mind, right? Because notice Paul says what was happening in the garden is that the serpent, the devil through the serpent, was leading Eve's mind astray. That's what was happening. He was playing with her mind and leading her astray in her thinking. How did he do that? Well, you remember? He asked some questions, made some statements. He said, did God really say? You know, playing around with her mind, casting doubts, questions. Did God really say that? And then he moved further in Eve's mind and he says, you will surely not die. That's not true. And then he went a step further. And he suggested an alternative to what God had said. You can be like God. Here's a truth that sounds better and you can substitute it for what you say God was telling you. And it's much better than dying. It's getting to be like God. And we're told that he played around with her mind so well that it led her astray. It led her mind astray to take action and eat the forbidden fruit, and her husband did, and we know uh, the outcome of that. But that's what he's referring back to. 
And what he's saying is, I brought you together with Christ when I was there. And now I'm afraid. I'm jealous. I'm afraid. Because Satan, just like with Eve, is playing with your minds. And I'm afraid he's going to lead you astray in your minds from your pure, sincere devotion to Christ. You are flirting around. You were united with Christ. And now you're flirting around with others. And you're letting them play with your mind and lead you astray from just that simple, pure, sincere devotion to Jesus that you had when I left. What's a pure, sincere devotion to Jesus? Well, it's just loving him, trusting him, following him, serving him, obeying him. It's just devotion. It's simple. It's not complicated. You're just devoted. And apparently the Corinthians were when Paul left. But now they're flirting around. They're listening to these false teachers who have just come on in after Paul. And those teachers are leading their minds astray. They're actually putting up with them and listening to them and being influenced. And it causes Paul to be jealous. And it causes Paul to be afraid. He goes on to talk about the different messages that these false teachers are bringing, starting in verse 4. He says, For if someone comes to you, so see, they, they have come to Corinth. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached. So these teachers are presenting a different Jesus. What would that be? Well, it, maybe maybe they're saying, uh, yeah, Jesus, he's, he's a great great guy. He was a great prophet, uh, but he wasn't the Messiah. That's crazy. And uh, giving their version of who Jesus was. He says, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received. People coming in and saying, hey, there are a lot of spirits. There are a lot of good spirits. There's the spirit of this and the spirit of this and the spirit of this. It's not just one spirit. Whatever the message was, he calls it different spirits. And then, or you receive a different gospel than the one you accepted. So these guys were playing around with the gospel message, presenting a different gospel. Maybe it was, yeah, it's good to believe in Jesus. But you have to do this too. If you really want to be saved, believe in Jesus and and follow the law, believe in Jesus and keep doing these rituals, believe in Jesus and do this, whatever it was. He doesn't go into detail, but he says these men have come in. They're playing with your mind. They're presenting a different Jesus. They're talking about different spirits. They're talking about a different kind of gospel. And he says, you're putting up with it. You're listening to it. You're letting their message influence you. And he's afraid it's going to work. Verse 5. 
Then when you get to verse uh, 5, Paul moves into what, again, he's uncomfortable doing, but some more defense as he talks about these, these men. He says in verse 5, But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. You know, he's being a little facetious there. You know, they call themselves these great apostles, and they discredit me. He says, I don't think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, because they were accusing him of being a terrible speaker. He says, I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. And have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. And then he goes on for a number of verses. We're not going to go into in detail, but you may have noticed he, he grabs on to this one accusation about him um, exploiting them financially. That Paul was just in this ministry thing for the money, and he was exploiting you. And so he, he comments on that, and basically he says, come on, remember. I mean, you were there when I was there. You know that's not true. And he talks about how he didn't ask them for any support. He, he didn't ask them for any money when he was there. In fact, if you recall, he was a tent maker. And he, he made money with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, his, made his own living. Uh, plus, he says, there are other churches up in Macedonia and Achaia who were supporting me when I was with you. I didn't ask you for any money. I didn't want to be a burden to you. And so he reminds them of that. They should remember that. They should know. And then he comes back to the false teachers. And Paul does something here that he hasn't done yet in the letter. He talks about the false teachers. I mean, he's he's just made implications and comments that make us think somebody's out there you know, criticizing, spreading accusations, uh, teaching things that aren't true. But here he finally spends time talking about those men. So let's see what he says about them, starting in verse 12. He says, And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. See, these men had boasted that they were the true apostles. They were the ones that the people should listen to. Paul was not credible. Paul's motives were suspect. They were telling people this. And Paul says, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under their feet. They just want to be equal or better than me, and they boast about it. And look what he says. Look how he describes these false teachers that keep following him to these different cities. He says in verse 13, for such men are false apostles. They aren't true apostles. They are pseudo. That's the word. They're false apostles. He says they are deceitful workers. They're deceivers. 
They're fooling you. The word that's translated deceitful literally means to bait a hook. Timely, right? Today. Deceitful, to bait a hook. There are people out on Minnesota lakes as we speak being deceitful to those fish. Right? They're baiting hooks. They're luring fish. They're deceiving them into thinking they're feeding them. But that's not the intention, right? It's deceit. Baiting the hook. And he says that's what these men are. They're deceitful workers. They're luring you toward things that aren't true. They're lying. It sounds good. Maybe it's subtle even. But they're deceiving you with what they say about Jesus and what they say about the Spirit and what they say about the Gospel and what they say about me. They're deceitful workers. Then he describes them as pretenders. They're masqueraders. They masquerade as apostles of Christ. They're just pretending. They're wearing masks. They aren't who they say they are. And then he goes a step further and gets really blunt. And he says, they're actually servants of Satan. He says in verse 14, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Isn't that Satan's technique? It's not always blatant. It seldom is. It's subtle. It's deceit. Little truth mixed in with falsehood. Playing with the mind. And he said that's what these teachers are doing. They're servants of Satan. So he says it's not surprising then if his servants, these guys, masquerade as servants of righteousness. So that is as detailed as Paul gets in this letter. He hasn't spent that much time talking specifically about those false teachers yet in the letter. But it's like he's had enough. And he just calls it what it is. He's going to take the rug out from under them. They are false apostles, deceitful workers, pretenders. They masquerade as apostles of Christ, and they are servants of Satan. They are serving him. And then he ends this whole section, their end will be what their actions deserve. They'll get what they deserve. You know, this is really a relevant passage. I mean, what, what, what Paul is talking about is so relevant, especially as we go to the first part and then the last part. Okay. Now, it's probably relevant that there are, you know, people out there that are doing what they call ministry in order to 
exploit people and make a profit. They're here today too, right? Um, and there are those who aren't. And, of course, Paul had to deal with that accusation. That's the middle part that was very personal um, to Paul. But the first and last part, really applicable. Very relevant for us. So I want us to talk about that. First of all, are there false teachers today? Are there deceitful workers? Are there pretenders masquerading to be servants of the Lord? Of course there are. There always have been. It wasn't just in the days of Paul. But today, they work a little differently. Okay? Back then, they were following Paul wherever he went, in person, going to these churches soon after Paul left and presenting their message and their falsehoods and their deceits, playing around with the minds of these Christians. That's not so much the case today. What's sad about today in our culture is that we are going to them. These false teachers came to the churches after Paul. Today, we are going to the false teachers. We really are. We're reading their books. We're reading their magazines. Right? We're watching them on TV. We're watching them on the computer, on the Internet. We're listening to their music. We're turning our radios on and listening to them. We're going to their blogs. We're going to their Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. What's different today is, for the most part, we are going to them and listening. In Paul's day, they came to the churches. Today, we go to them, and we expose ourselves to them. And what's happening? Satan is doing the same thing he did in the garden. He's playing around with the minds of Christians, playing around with our minds as we go to these false teachers, whatever form they take, whoever they are, whatever their story is. We go to them and they play around with our minds. And the same three things happen as happened to Eve. First of all, these false teachers begin to cast doubts in our mind. They start to ask questions that cause we as Christians, did God really say? Is that what he really meant? Is that what he really wants you to do? And they begin to create these doubts, this questioning in our minds. And then the playing around with our minds moves to the next step. In our minds come these thoughts, he didn't really say that. He didn't mean that. 
And then we move to the next step. We substitute something that sounds better. We, we substitute what we thought God said. We substitute what we believed at one time with something that sounds better, is more comfortable, tickles our ears a little more. And pretty soon we're walking around with a belief that we didn't have. And we are no longer living out this sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Our minds have gotten complicated. We've made the Christian life complicated. We've allowed Satan through his false teachers to distract our minds, to get us focused on speculations and opinions that take us on these rabbit trails. And if Satan can get us on these rabbit trails of speculation and opinion and thought-provoking things, guess what he gets us away from? Pure, sincere, simple devotion. Being Christians that are so devoted to Christ... We trust Him. We love Him. We want to serve Him and follow Him, and we will obey Him. A lot of times it's subtle, but it's always the same outcome. We're led astray away from a simple, pure, sincere, undistracted devotion to Jesus. And like John said in Revelation about one of the churches, we lose our first love because we start flirting around with all these other ideas. That's happening today. It's happening today. And can I make an admission? I'm jealous and I'm afraid. I'm jealous and I'm afraid. Because I've experienced... Not to the extent Paul did, but I've experienced helping people come to know Jesus. And I've been there. I've been the best man at their wedding when they said, I do to Jesus. I was there when they committed their lives to Christ. And the result was they loved him so much. They were so devoted and excited about their their new walk with Christ and wanted to obey him and, and follow him and serve him. And now, those same people are out there living like they used to live because they started to let themselves be influenced. Their minds were led astray the same way Eve's were led astray. I'm jealous. And I'm afraid that's going to keep happening, and it probably will. So... To a certain little degree, I know what Paul was talking about. This, this jealousy and this, this fear of what Satan can do through his servants in the minds of people who know Jesus. Or we think we, they know Jesus. Let me, um, 
as I start to wrap this up, take you to some scriptures that are on your sheet. I'm, I'm going to let these scriptures warn you, okay? I decided if I put into words some kind of warning here, I could get in trouble. So um, <clears throat> let me use scripture and the words of scripture to warn you. And uh, we're going to start with one that's not on your sheet there, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. <clears throat> And you can do your own study on this and use cross-references, and you'll find many more warnings like this. And they are so relevant. Uh, Ephesians 4.14. Paul has just talked about the importance of becoming mature as Christians. In verse 14, he says, When we become mature, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Isn't that out there? Every wind of teaching, every wind of doctrine out there, it just keeps blowing. And there are Christians who go with the wind. They go with the flow. They grab onto every new teaching that's out there. Because it tickles their ears. It provokes them. It gets them off on these speculations and opinions. And what it does is it also takes them away from a simple, pure devotion to Jesus. Because when you're on speculative rabbit trails, when you're off on these thought-provoking new ideas, Guess what you're not doing? You're not loving, trusting, following, serving Jesus. You're focused on the new idea. You're focused on the speculation. You're focused on that great speaker who's provoking your thoughts with this new idea. And what it does is it leads your mind astray from a focus on Jesus. Right? The pure, simple devotion. And that's what's happening. And so Paul says, if you want to be mature, then you've got to get to a point where you're not always being swayed by everything that comes along. Be careful. Uh, another one is in uh, Colossians. Colossians 2. says in uh, verse 6, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He says, watch out. <laughs> There's all kinds of hollow, deceptive philosophies out there that come from human tradition and worldly thinking. Watch out. Be careful. Uh, he goes um, in Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy three. 
Starting in verse 12, he says to Timothy, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. Another place we go today and are influenced and our minds are led astray or the potential is there. And I do have a fear of this, and that is every year churches send out students to colleges. And after 18 years of having the truth of God's word poured into them in three months sitting under somebody they don't even know, total stranger, but is a great talker and smart. They can be totally influenced and their minds led astray from a simple, pure devotion to Christ. Isn't that incredible? That something God has planted into somebody's mind for 18 years can be led astray in three months by a stranger. That's incredible. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here to Timothy. He says, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And then he talks about how they've Learn from infancy the Holy Scriptures. And you have that reminder that all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. That's where the truth is. It's in the Scripture. But I'm so afraid that there are, there are people that just are willing to let someone influence them and lead their minds astray from the truth. We need to be warned. We need to be careful. We need to be people who check everything out by the word of God, the truth. Hebrews 13 says basically the same thing. I want to read something to you in in closing. I mean, the, the warning, friends, is just, you know, the enemy does the same thing today that he did in the garden. He hasn't changed his strategy. Um, he used to send false teachers out after the apostles in person, they would go to these churches and, and uh, contradict what the apostles had said and lead their minds astray from a simple, pure devotion. Today, it's different. We go to them in the ways I told you. We go to them. And we allow them to play around with our minds. And we don't even try to check out the Scripture and compare what we're hearing to the scripture. We were at a graduation yesterday. It was our oldest granddaughter. She graduated from college. Man. So in uh, in the commencement service, the Northwestern Choir sang a song. And this song, what amazed me was that it was written in the 13th century. 
I think that's the 1200s, right? 13th century. So the 1200s, over a thousand years ago, these words were written. Let me read a couple verses of the song. Jesus, I adore thee. Word of truth and grace, who in glory shineth light upon our race. Christ, to thee surrendered, my whole heart is bowed. Not a great statement. Christ, to thee surrendered, my whole heart is bowed. Alpha and Omega, thou true Son of God. Taste and touch and vision to discern thee fail. You get that? All of my senses, they fail trying to discern you, Jesus. Faith that comes by hearing pierces through the veil. I believe whate'er the Son of God hath told. What the truth hath spoken, that for truth I hold. Twelve hundreds, over a thousand years ago. And somebody writing a song say, I surrender to you, Jesus. Fully devoted to you, Jesus. I bow before you, surrendered. And you are the truth. And what you say is truth. And if you say it, I hold that as truth. What what a declaration. And over a thousand years later, we Christians go around letting people influence our minds and play with our minds and lead us astray from a pure, simple devotion to Christ. Because for some reason, we find it hard to hold to the truth and compare everything we hear to the truth. Paul was jealous because that was happening. He was afraid it would continue to happen. May it not happen in our lives. Let me read this in closing. I'm not even going to pray. I'm just going to read this because it's so good. Jesus, I adore thee. Word of truth. And grace, who in glory shineth light upon our race. Christ, to thee surrendered, my whole heart is bowed. Alpha and Omega, thou true Son of God. Taste and touch and vision to discern thee fail. Faith that comes by hearing pierces through the veil. I believe whate'er the Son of God hath told. What the truth hath spoken, that for truth I hold.